Let's pray. God, you alone are holy, and we can get caught up in the news. We can get caught up in our daily lives. We can get caught up in twiddling our thumbs. We are easily distracted creatures. I pray, O oh God, that as we continue in worship in your word, that we would have our eyes set on you, that the words of that song would be true, that we want to see you. We want to see you not just with our eyes, but with the eyes of our heart. We want to adore you, God. May that continue now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. We're uh, continuing our series through the Gospel of Matthew. Um, the, uh, uh, you know, I had something stupid I was going to say. And by God's grace, it just got filtered out by me forgetting it. Anyway, uh, we're continuing in, our, in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, so we're going to start in, uh, in chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. Um, before, before we dive in, um, have you ever given somebody news they needed to hear? I'm not talking about the news they wanted to hear, but the news they needed to hear. Um, how did they respond? Because there's really only two possible responses, right? It's either that they accept it or that they reject it. Um, sometimes somebody will reject the, the, the advice or the news at first. Uh, I, you know, I'll confess I'm that way. If somebody comes to me and says, hey, you need to do this, or hey, this is something that, that needs to get done, and it's, I, I will almost always want to say no or, or reject it, um, not, not because I think I'm right or not, not because I want to defend my pride, but because I haven't thought about it yet and I got to consider it and I, I got to mull it over. Um, and it's usually that my wife is right. I mean, it's usually that the person that's talking to me is right. Um, but, but I, but I got, I got to think about it. Right. But that's still accepting it. Uh, in those situations, when somebody's talking to me, I, I, I should, in an ideal world, use the words, I will think about it. But that doesn't mean that I use those words. Um, but, but it really on, or re, re, really, really, that means that the person has accepted it. Even if they reject it and they say no first, it means that they've accepted it when they take it. But most of the time when you're talking to somebody and you give someone news, you can tell whether or not they, they, they have accepted it. Uh, maybe it's their body language. Maybe it's maybe it's the words they use after you tell them. Uh, maybe maybe it's the um, maybe they flat out tell you straight up like no, but but you can tell somehow you can tell. So let's read our verses for today. I'd say please stand in the honor of the the word, but. Um, I mean, your couches are probably comfortable. Uh, so starting in verse 12. Now, when he, Jesus, heard that John had been arrested, John the Baptist, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and, sh and shadow of death on them, a light has dawned. 
From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the word of the Lord. So in these verses, uh, we actually see Jesus starting his public ministry. We know from reading other gospels that Jesus had done things uh, before John was arrested, but he wasn't, he wasn't very public about it. He wasn't as, as clear or as, uh, as, as, as outspoken as he, as he could have been, but he was waiting. He was waiting for this, this one moment um, we, of, of, of John the Baptist being arrested. Why? Well, honestly, we don't know for sure. Uh, we, we know that John the Baptist intended for his ministry to decline and for Jesus' to arrive. That's what he says is recorded in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 3, verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease, right? So we knew that John the Baptist intended for his ministry to fade and for Jesus' to come to the forefront, we also know that, uh, that, again, this was the beginning of, of the growth of Jesus' more public ministry. We, we know that, we know that uh, he, he actually picked up where John the Baptist left off. Uh, and we know that because of verse 17, when he says the exact same thing that John the Baptist had said just the chapter before. We'll talk more about that when we get to there. Uh, but, but here we find Jesus going, going back to Galilee. And, and, and we're, again, let's remember what Galilee is. It's backwater. I mean, it's, it's the redneck version uh, of, of, a, of a province. It's like if you could draw a boundary around Galilee, it would essentially just be redneck. Like the, the backwater people that you, you know, they're rough, they're tumble, they're rabble-rousing, they're, they're rebellious, they're, they're, they're all the things that, that nobody really likes. And yet, Jesus goes there. Uh, there's two points that I want you to see in the sermon. So point number one is that the gospel, the good news, is a light to those who are discontent in darkness. The gospel is a light to those who are discontent in darkness. We see that here in Galilee. But we see something else. Verse 13, we see that, that Jesus left Nazareth. Well, remember that Nazareth is where Jesus was from. We remember, I mean, he, he went there at some point. This narrative doesn't really tell us. We get the temptation of Jesus and then we find out he's in Nazareth now. Nazareth is not, it's, it's, it's podunk, but it's not the, the, de the desert wilderness that he would have been tempted in. So he goes to Nazareth, but Matthew doesn't really cover what happens there. Luke actually does a much better job covering that. So if you want, turn to Luke chapter 4, um, and I'll read a couple, couple verses out of there. Not Mark 4. There we go, Luke chapter 4. So we find the same, the same general construction, actually, in Luke, where he, Jesus is tempted, Jesus begins his ministry, but then we have this, this, this section, verses 16 through 30, uh, where, where, just to summarize it, Jesus comes to Nazareth, again, his hometown, man. He's, this is where people know him. They know him best. 
these are the people that know his kindness, that know his compassion, that know, that know all of his humanness. I mean, Jesus was impeccable. He never sinned. He was perfect. And he goes to where people know him. I mean, these are, these are his friends, his family. And then he stands up, as is the custom, to read a section of scripture in the synagogue, and he, he rolls out the scroll of Isaiah, and then he reads these verses, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolls the scroll up, gives it back to the attendant, attendant and sits down. And, uh, and then everybody looks at him, like, why did you choose that? And he begins to say, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's a bold statement. That's a big statement. Um, I mean, he's taking it upon himself. That, that scripture, he's saying that, 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 listen, God has set me up to proclaim good news to the poor. My goal is to proclaim the gospel. So uh, he goes on and he actually rebukes him. He says, um, and all sp uh, verse 22, Luke 4, 22, and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? They remember, oh, wait, this is, hey, this is Jesus. We know this guy. And then Jesus interrupts them as they're discussing this because they're marveling. They're thinking like, wow, look at Joseph's son. Joseph knows all this stuff and oh my gosh, look at how great he is. But then Jesus says, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he hasn't gone to Capernaum yet. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel. And he goes on basically to say, there, uh, he gives actually the reason for his miracles, which is to prove who he is. And what happens? Verse 29, they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down off the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. So we find that, that Jesus went to his hometown first, gets driven out of there, gets shoved out, gets, gets, gets thrown out of his own hometown, where his friends, I mean, again, think about it, the kids that he played with when he was a kid, they're chasing him out of town. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. They didn't want to see his divinity. They... They, they, they knew him. And, I mean, the, again, these are the people that should have known him. I mean, how, how can you know somebody who's without sin and not just be in awe of them? Well, like that. That's how you do it. So then Jesus goes to Capernaum. Remember, he said, surely you'll tell me what you did in Capernaum, do here. But they were, they, they, were, they were looking wrongly at the right things. Jesus was doing these miracles, these wonderful things, to attest to his divinity, uh, to attest that he was doing something great. It, it, was a, it was a show, it was a display of who he was. But they didn't want to hear it. So he goes to Capernaum, going back to our text. So again, Matthew chapter 4, going, going to our text. He leaves Nazareth. 
And then he went and he lived in Capernaum by the sea. So just real quick, lived just means he stayed there a while. It's not like he bought a house, started a farm, maybe had a family. That's not what it means. If anybody ever says, you know, well, Bible contradicts itself. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. But here it says he lived. They're just wrong. Just keep going. Um, so he goes and he stays in Capernaum for a, for, a, for a long time by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. What does he do? Well, he starts preaching the gospel. See, Capernaum wanted to hear, but Capernaum was a Gentile city. Capernaum was a place with non-Jews. They listened to him. And as Isaiah said, they have, they, these people that were dwelling in darkness, they have seen a great light. The gospel, the good news, that Jesus, the king, is coming is not like a candle in a dimly lit room. It's like the sun rising over the horizon coming out of darkness. It's, it's a light. It exposes sin, but it also melts away the darkness. It drives it out of us. The gospel, the good news, is the only thing that accomplishes this. Listen, the, the light of the gospel drives away terror. It warms with comfort. It illumines us to the beauty of God. It's like shining a flashlight on the most wonderful painting. But for whatever reason, this painting is glowing. We just can't see it until we look at it through the lens of this gospel. But it's also a light that can only be heard by those who are, not, who are discontent with their darkness. See, the gospel should be sweet to us. It was sweet to the people in Capernaum, but it wasn't sweet to the people in Nazareth. When you contrast the two people, when you contrast Luke's account of, of how Jesus was driven out of Nazareth, and then Matthew's account where he's saying, listen, Jesus went for the purpose of fulfilling the, the, what the prophet Isaiah foretold of him, you really, you really have one of two options. Either it's accepted, like Capernaum, or rejected, like Nazareth. See, Nazareth was content with their darkness. They were content with what they knew. They were so content that they were blind to who Jesus was. And if there's any, any one single thing that you'll, you'll recognize about me is that most of what I say is take your eyes off yourself and look to Christ. Why? Because that, that news should be sweet to us. If it's not, then we've got to examine our darkness. But before I go into that, Capernaum, again, they received his light. He went and they received him. They were a people dwelling in darkness. Verse 16, and for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. That's a, that's a pretty crazy way of saying it. They were dwelling in the shadow of death. But they loved him. Jesus showed, he displayed who he was. Not because they had enough faith to trust, 
uh, or not because they had enough faith to warrant like like filling the gas with the gas tank or filling the gas tank with gas. Uh, not not because they had enough faith to to um, let him do the things that he was doing, but because they they saw and they recognized and they beheld humbly that this guy is special. This guy this guy is doing something. This guy means something. This guy is showing us something. Jesus' miracles backfire on people later. Not on Jesus. They don't backfire on Jesus. But they backfire on people later. And we'll get to those, those sections. But, but, but for now, just recognize that, that the people in Capernaum, they saw a great light. They saw it. They actually saw it. The people of Nazareth, they shielded their eyes. Not because it was so blinding and beautiful, but because they wanted their eyes covered. They didn't want to see the beauty of Jesus. We, too, must not be content with our darkness. Listen, the gospel shines light on sin, not just to the unconverted, not just to the people who don't know Jesus, but to us who know Jesus as well. Why? Because the sun continues to rise, and more of, of, of our inner heart is illumined by that sun. That's, that's the nature of the gospel, is that it continues showing our darkness and melting it away as we repent more and more and more. As we recede the darkness, so the light shines anew. We have to, we have to be discontent with our darkness. We have, to, we have to chase after the good news. Uh, we have to be moved to repentance. We have to grow, which a, a better, a more biblical term for growth is, is to, we have to be sanctified. We have to be, made, we have to be made holy. That's what that word means. Sanctified means to be made holy. We have to be made holy by the good news of Jesus Christ. There is no other way to be sanctified than the gospel. So point number one, again, was the gospel is a light to those who are discontent in darkness. Now, the second point, we've gone all the way up to this one single verse. Verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The second point is that Jesus demands repentance. There's a lot of fake Jesuses out there. There's a lot of fake saviors who say, you know, God accepts you the way you are. Yes, yes, God does accept you the way you are, but he, he doesn't do it by your righteousness. He does it by his righteousness, the righteousness that he gives. He accepts you the way you are, and he loves you. That love drives him to not leave you where you are. If you saw a person drowning in quicksand, you can accept them the way they are and watch them drown. But if you love them, you're going to drag them out. You're going to do everything you can. And you're going to pull them out and praise God that he is almighty and he is able to pull you out of, of that quicksand. He does not fail. So the second point is that Jesus demands repentance. And honestly, this is the key to understanding everything Jesus says. Every single thing that, that Jesus says in, in the Sermon on the Mount, in the parables, in every facet of, of, of his word, we have to understand that this is here. 
This, this repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Notice what, where, what it says at the beginning of verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach. Jesus picked up the exact same message as John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or the, the kingdom has come near, or, or the king has come near. However we want to translate that phrase. But he picks up the exact same thing. And that's important to know because God is always consistent with his prophets. If, if a prophet, somebody who claims to be a prophet, says something contrary to anything in Scripture, they can't be trusted. Because God is consistent, always consistent. So here you have Jesus starting to preach what John the Baptist had already been preaching. We should revel in God's clarity there. We, we really should pause and reflect on the fact that God is always consistent. I'm not consistent. I can't be as consistent as God. Never, never in a million years could I always be consistent on one thing. For you who always start walking with your left foot, chances are at one point you started walking with your right foot, maybe once. For you who always look at the spine of a book to see, I don't know, the publisher or the condition of the book, chances are one time you didn't. For you who always start the car and let it run for a couple minutes, letting the, the fluids go through, chances are one time you didn't. Because we can't be consistent, but God is always consistent. So when we see this phrase that Matthew threw in, from that time, we need to recognize that that means that Jesus said this a lot. So when we read the Bible, we won't see this phrase or when, when we read the Bible, we will see that phrase in the Bible. When we read the rest of the Gospel of Matthew, we won't see that phrase all the time. But knowing that it's from that time Jesus started preaching the same message, we should recognize that this is probably the forerunner statement to everything. Before he even began preaching the Sermon on the Mount, he told the people, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He demanded repentance. Again, this is the key to everything that Jesus says. And when we look at, uh, when we look at a comparison text, Mark actually says something similar, Mark 1, 14 to 15. He says, now after John was arrested, sounds familiar, Jesus came into Galilee, also sounds familiar, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repentance is not just for the first converted. Repentance is for all of us. So, again, just remember, everything we read, this is the under, undergirding note. This is that, that constant refrain. You ever, hear, um, you ever hear a song and there's a hum in the song? Uh, there, there was... The <laughs> I was a church sound guy once. Uh, I was a church sound guy for a long time, and uh, we had in this janky laptop, this really kind of messed up laptop that we used, um, you, you couldn't plug the audio cord in all the way, because if you did, there was this constant kind of buzz in the background. Um, 
I know why that happened. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. But but the way you did it, you had to be very careful. You had to be very gentle and plug it in, and then just kind of pull it out a bit until you stopped hearing the hum. And if I remember correctly, we actually had to place something over it to hold the cord there because it wanted to go all the way in, but you can't let it go all the way in. Uh, but but there was a constant hum, and that that was a nagging, obnoxious, horrible hum. If you knew it was there, not everybody heard it. But, but if you knew it was there, that's all you heard in everything. Um, this is kind of like that hum, but it's not nagging. It needs, it needs to nag at our souls. Repent. Repent. The command stays the same, no matter where you are in the Christian life. Repent. It needs to stay there. And Jesus started his ministry with the word repent, or the, 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 the demand to repent. And we also, again, have to remember, this, is the, this, this demanding of repentance that Jesus does is the key to understanding everything Jesus says. So Jesus is not saying repent just to the hypocritical Pharisees. He's not just saying it to the, to the rabble-rousing fishermen. Uh, he's not just saying it to the drunkards or, or the pub owners, whatever a pub owner would be in the first century, or, or the, uh, this, the, the, the overly Rome-loving um, uh, centurion-like political guys, or, or the socially destitute, or the homeless, or the prostitutes, or the tax collectors. Jesus is saying this to everyone. He's saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right there. So we need to make sure we're hearing this phrase in the back of our mind. It needs to be ingrained in our hearts and our minds. Whenever we read the Bible, whenever we're reading Numbers, whenever we're reading, uh, well, Numbers actually has stories in it. It's actually a very good book once you get past the censuses. But, but when, whenever you're reading Leviticus or whenever you're reading Hosea or whenever you're reading um, Paul's letters. Remember that Jesus' message, his gospel, was repent, his good news. Repent, because, here's the news, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So you've got to be asking yourself, when you're reading the Bible, and you need to be reading the Bible, we have a great gift in our century of having this for less than a day's work of a paycheck. We can get the Bible on our smartphones, which costs more than a day's paycheck. Uh, but we can get the Bible on our smartphones. We can get it everywhere. We need to be reading our Bible, but we need to be constantly asking, where, where must I repent, Lord? Where am I in the wrong? Where am I sinning against you? Where am I not just making mistakes, because by golly, you know we all make mistakes, especially this guy. Uh, but, but, but we need to be constantly asking, where? Where can I repent? That's part of the gospel. Where am I not recognizing the nearness of your kingdom, that I'm treating it like it's not at hand? Where am I blind to your nearness, Lord? You know, we, gotta, we, we have to fight in ourselves the desire to be complacent. We've got to. Otherwise, we'll forget that from that time, Jesus began preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was the great light 
Jesus was the great light that they saw in Capernaum, but it wasn't just the man Jesus walking down the road. It was his message. It was his gospel. So this brings us to our conclusion, our closure. Remember that first point was that the gospel is a light to those who are discontent in, in their darkness. Are you discontent in your darkness? Do you feel that stirring to flee your darkness, to fight your darkness? The gospel is the only light that's going to fight it away. The fact that Jesus died and rose again, being fully God and fully man, satisfying the wrath that his father has against us. We're sinners. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All. Me. You. You've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you couldn't atone for your sin, and that's why Jesus came. You can never do enough to make God happy with you. That's why Jesus died, so that God could be happy with us. So the gospel is a light to those who are discontent in their darkness. And the second point again, Jesus demands repentance. And that's the key to understanding everything Jesus says. We have to be people always seeking to repent. That's actually good news, believe it or not. As, as a, a perfectionist, you would never know I'm a perfectionist, by the way. Like, if you talk to me, you'd never know it. It's something that's hidden pretty deep down in my heart. But as a perfectionist, I, I like to be perfect. I set cruise control at 55. That's, that's me. I go the fi- I, I'm the 55 guy. I'm the guy that's slowing down you and the 50 people behind you. I'm not even sorry. Uh, but but as, a, as a perfectionist, the fact that I have to repent is actually good news. Why? Because it means that Jesus is giving me the strength to repent. Listen, the kingdom of God, Jesus' return, and the, the culmination, the manifestation, the, uh, the, the consummation of God's kingdom is nearer now than it was in Jesus' time, than it was 2,000 years ago. It's, it's nearer now than it was yesterday. We don't know when Jesus is returning. It's, it's, uh, don't d- fight in yourself the, the desire to be an alarmist and say that corona, the coronavirus is, a, is a, a, a manifestation of an apocalyptic prophecy. Uh, fight that because we don't know. We can't say for sure. We can shrug our shoulders and say maybe, but we can't be sure. So, so fight that desire, we, we, but, but also, also be ready. Don't be like Nazareth that rejects the good news. Be like Capernaum who accepts it. May we too see the great light of Jesus' gospel and be transformed by him. It's the only transformation that's going to work. We work. We have to repent. We have to want our sin gone. But God gets all the glory when we repent. Let's, let's pray and sing our final song and I'll dismiss. It's really weird that you're not here anyway. It's talking, talking to my phone is not an ideal situation. Let's pray.
Jesus, you are the good news because you are the king. You're the one who ushers in the kingdom. You're the one who redeems sinners, who ransomed our souls, who satisfied your father's wrath, who, who, who takes broken, horrible sinners like, like me and redeems. God, may we as, as First Baptist Church of Toledo, may we as, as your children rejoice in that fact. Rejoice in it as we'll rejoice in it for eternity. May we have the boldness to, to, to proclaim that good news that you are near and the demand of repentance. Please, oh God, let us remember that and let us worship you for it. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Today is Palm Sunday, uh, where we celebrate uh, in Christendom at large Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, where palm trees or palm branches were waved, and uh, and they celebrated the arrival of their king. But the people in Jerusalem thought he was going to be a political king, that he was going to overthrow Rome, that um, Israel was going to be moved to political prominence, um, they, they were wrong. They were more like Nazareth. They knew what the king was going to be like, and it wasn't Jesus. They, they were wrong. They, they were very wrong. And that's one of the very reasons that we need to be more humble like Capernaum. We have to see the great light of Jesus. So my prayer for you this week is that you would see that great light, that you would be transformed by that, that you would remember that, that our continued repentance as new sins crop up, as old sins reemerge, the demand that Jesus gives is repentance. But that's only done in the power of him. Be close to him this week, saints. Be close to him. Go in peace.